and welcome to this episode of Tales from Eden Road and Beyond, the podcast for LBC Capital alumni and friends of the college. My name is Zach Freeman. I'm the Director of Athletic Communications at Lancaster Bible College, and I am joined by my co-host, Bob McMichael, who is a 1993 graduate of Lancaster Bible College and has served at the college in many different capacities over the past several years. Bob, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing today, Zach? Good, thank you. Looking forward to uh, some time here with our guest as uh, we are joined today uh, by Professor Emeritus Dr. Jim Ayers, commonly and lovingly referred to as Doc Ayers around campus. Uh, Doc was a student here from LB- at LBC uh, from 1976 to 1980 and joined the faculty in 1993. Doc, how are you today? Doing well, thanks. Appreciate the invitation to join you guys. Absolutely. We are looking forward to it. We've enjoyed our first couple of episodes and uh, reminiscing about the past and uh, hearing all the great stories of uh, how the Lord has been faithful to those at LBC and and blessed the college uh, many times over. So we're looking forward to Mm -hmm. spending some time with you as well. Uh, so we mentioned that you started here in 1993, uh, the college then uh, different, obviously, than it, than it is today. Um, but at the same time, it was sort of a time uh, there in the mid to late 90s where there was lots of growth um, coming to the college. You kind of feel it on campus. Obviously, I was not there. Uh, but you can kind of looking through the yearbooks, talking with Bob and some of our other guests, you could feel some things were changing, both in terms of the number of students, uh, growing technology, athletics, things like that. What do you remember uh, that time in the mid to late 90s on, on campus here? Um, it, it was a time, um, it, it was indeed a time of change, Zach. Um, uh, I remember uh, when I came to the, uh, the campus as a student, um, uh, facilities uh, come to mind probably, uh, first of all, when I, when I came as a student in 1976, um, my, um, my first chapels that I went to, we had chapels every day, uh, during that time, uh, there was no horse athletic complex or just the gymnasium as we called it then, uh, it was still being built. And so when I started as a student, we had a big tent right out beside where, uh, the horse, um, building is now. And we met uh, for most of my first semester in, uh, in that uh, under the big top. And so uh, we, didn't, we didn't have any sawdust trail, but, but it, was, uh, it was quite an experience to sit in the tent every day and, um, and watch the, the growth of the, um, uh, that particular building and, and finally get to see it opened up. And uh, that became uh, all through the four years that I was there uh, that's where we had chapel. Um, you know, every day you would uh, set up your chapel uh, chair. You'd get your chair against the wall from against the wall and uh, sit down for chapel. And at the end of the chapel, when you were dismissed, you would pick up your chair and walk and uh, go and stack it against the wall. And uh, then you had to make way, of course, for the athletic teams and intramurals and all the other things that the uh, um that it was used for. So it was, uh, it was a period of time when there was a lot of change taking place on campus, uh, a lot of growth. Dr. Stuart Lease was the president for my first three years. Uh, Dr. Peterson became the president during my senior year. And so there were a lot of significant changes uh, during, uh, during that year. But, uh, you know, in those, in those early days when, when I was there as a student, the the strongest focus was uh, preparing students for, for ministries. And so your, 
pastoral studies, Christian education, teacher education, uh, those those things were really um, uh, missions. Missions department was strong. All of those things were still um, characteristic of what LBC was was all about. So excellent. It's a, it's a good segue. Just real quick, uh, Bob, to jump in. Just our now and then photo for our monthly blog is actually the construction of Horse Athletic Center. We have a great picture of. It, the beams and that's about it and then I had took a picture of what it currently looks like and so that'll serve as our now and then photo. so it's a it's funny to bring up I didn't see the big top in the photo so it must have been yeah. a little early for the big top but uh yeah it's yeah. just a great it, it's interesting to see some of those old photos and just the construction and things like that Bob go ahead yeah so so doc when when you guys were meeting in the tent if it was being right beside where the gym was being built um did they stop construction during the time the chapel was taking place uh, no, um, uh, but I, I will say this, most of the construction that they were doing at that point was interior. Uh, the walls were up, the roof was on. And so, uh, so there really was very little uh, noise uh, problem there, you know, because they were doing the electrical, the plumbing and that kind of, sure. that kind of, of, of stuff. So it was, uh, it really was not disruptive. Do you know where, do you know where they were doing chapel before Horse was built. Um, I believe it. Uh, it was in what was called Becker Hall, which okay. uh, of course is no longer right. there. It would have been um, opposite uh, where the old Espenshade farmhouse was. Sure. Um, uh, but uh, but that was torn down. Uh, the upstairs of that uh, during uh, during my years, the upstairs was the largest classroom on campus and so i don't know of any other place they could have had chapel if it wasn't in that uh yeah. in that room but uh, i i was never in chapel there yeah um, but yeah. all of your all of your largest freshman classes like your ot class that was required by everyone uh and there was only one section for it that was always in there you know some of the theology courses and and so yeah. forth yeah uh, one of the other things that you uh, just were talking about was the different presidents and everything. Uh, you had Dr. Lease as a student, and then uh, for the basically most of your time as a faculty member, it was either Dr. Peterson or Dr. Tegg. That's what correct. are the what are the differences between all these men? Well, they were they were all distinctive in their leadership styles. Um, How's, how's that for a political, uh, <laughs> political statement to be politically correct? Uh, distinct leadership styles. Um, I, I really did not get to look behind the curtain very much for Dr. Lease sure. because he was, uh, you know, you would see him in chapel, but I, I had very little personal interaction with him. Uh, Dr. Peterson was brought in when the, the college was in desperate straits. Mm -hmm. And he was, um, you know, he was like a commander in chief, you know, and he was the right man at the right time in the right position. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he ruled pretty much with an iron fist. He made, um, and I don't mean that as a disparaging or critical remark. That was just his leadership style. No, it definitely he was. He didn't uh, take a lot of polls on what people thought. If uh, if you didn't agree with them, it was just too bad. Uh, you know, get over it. Um, and so, actually, he was still the president when 
when I was hired. So Dr. Peterson was the one who hired me. And so our conversations before I came were very direct. And I had, um, I had a number of contacts with him during that period of time from when he came in as a president in my senior year uh, until when I was invited to join the faculty in 93. So, uh, but I got to see his leadership style up close and personal. And I'm a pretty direct person also, but I think I had a little different uh, measure of grace that I tried to use in my, my leadership style, um, but, uh, but appreciated him very much. He brought the college a long way in terms of uh, accreditation, mm-hmm. um, just um, awareness of uh, the realities of challenges that Bible colleges were facing, uh, development of, uh, of plans for, uh, for future ministry. Uh, but I would say one of the biggest hurdles that he helped the college uh, get over was to become fiscally stable and uh, to move toward accreditation, which were, you know, really important uh, elements in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with everything that you said there. I think uh, most of his work um, has probably laid the groundwork for what Dr. Teg was able to do in his 20 years of serving as president then too. And and for even where LBC stands today uh, as uh, one, one of the, the larger Bible colleges still around, mm-hmm. so. Right, right. And there was a, there was a really good segue uh, there in, in passing the baton from Dr. Peterson to Dr. Tegg. Uh, when Dr. Tegg came in, he was the, um, uh, the academic dean, uh, was the title of the position then. But I think all of us knew, although it was unspoken, that, that it was a period of transition uh, as Dr. Peterson was, you know, beginning to scale down, and um, uh, Dr. Tag was was, uh, you know, kind of in the the pipeline to become the next president of the institution. So, one of the things that I uh, will always have fond memories of with Dr. Peterson was he was the the person who introduced me to Israel. Um, Dr. Peterson took myself and another faculty member uh, to Israel with him with the intention of training us to lead tours. And uh, that was invaluable to me. And we went with, um, with another tour agency and he went along as a participant. And then he said, now you get to see what they're doing let me explain what I do when I lead a tour. And so that whole time that I traveled with him, you know, I was taking notes on um, uh, different things that he would recommend, uh, different sites that he would suggest, you know, I would go here instead of there. Uh, I would do this different uh, and so on. So that that was huge. Uh, The second time, uh, I'll just throw in one quick story. Um, the, The second time that I went to Israel, Dr. Peterson said, you and I are going to lead a trip together. And he said, you're going to be the primary person leading the tour, but I'm going to go along 
And he took one of his sons and he said, I'm going to go along and enjoy the tour. And he said, I'm going to be there to help you with anything that you, uh, anything that you need help with. And so when we were promoting the tour, we promoted it as between the two of us, um, Dr. Peterson and I had been to Israel 31 times. And that was a big selling point until we told everyone that I was there once and he was there 30 times. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine him letting yeah. that be the case. Yeah. But, and, so. and, and that actually makes a great segue. Zach, I don't know that you know this, uh, but uh, one of the recruiting tools that Dr. Peterson used was if you completed a year at LBC, you would get a trip to Israel uh, following that, that freshman year. Yeah. I missed that by one year <laughs> and I never got that trip. But, but Doc, you've been back to Israel many times since uh, that yeah. time. And uh, the Travel Learn program uh, has grew and grew and grew. How many times have you been to Israel? And, and I, what, what are some of your fondest memories of, of those trips? Um, I've, I've been to Israel 18 times. Um, and then since then, we expanded uh, uh, to Jordan, Turkey, Greece. Uh, Egypt was on the horizon as well as uh, a trip uh, that a tour that we would have developed if I was still there at the college. Um, but um, uh, most of those were what we called travel learn tours. They were academic study tours for people who are unfamiliar with them. Um, fond memories of those tours. Um, uh, one hyphenated word, life change. Uh, the concentrated time that you get to spend with students while you travel, you know, and, and you've got to understand you're, you're with this same group of people uh, pretty much about 16 hours a day. Um, you're in the same hotel, you're on the same bus, you're touring the same sites, you're eating the same food, uh, you're doing everything together in mass. And so you really get to see people and, and get to know them in such unique ways uh, by spending that much time with them. And the strength of those relationships and watching the life change when the scriptures would come alive, I mean, that still just lights me up and, uh, and makes my heart smile because I have such fond memories of watching hundreds of students uh, participate in those trips and to see the dramatic changes of, I never understood the Bible like this before. And it was the combination of things that we tried to incorporate into the trips. It was it was the combination of understanding archaeology and understanding Bible geography and understanding customs and culture. And then seeing the being in the places uh, where we had done our homework and we really tried to concentrate on places that were not simply traditional sites, but there was there was significant evidence that would suggest that these were authentic biblical sites. And uh, to stand in those places and read scripture and open the word of God and do a devotional and and watch watch that just sink into students and I I would say that's probably one of the one of the greatest blessings that I enjoyed during the the 27 full years uh, that I was was at the college. 
I think so. as we keep going through kind of like the history of, of the institution that you were here, I think, you know, you talk about construction and different things on campus. Uh, one of the defining, you know, buildings here on campus, uh, you know, for for over 20 years now is the Good Shepherd Chapel. Uh, what do you remember about th that time specifically of, of that building? And like you said, no longer having to move your chair off the wall uh, in the gymnasium and getting a chance to you know sit in the pews and just sort of having a place uh, to worship on campus with fellow faculty, staff, and students. Yeah, well, um, Zach, that was really one of the passions of Dr. Peterson to have a chapel on the campus. And he was really a significant driving force behind that. Um, uh, it, it started under Dr. Peterson's, it, it, through his initiative, it really came to fruition uh, under Dr. Tegg's leadership. So it, it kind of overlapped both presidencies there. Um, but that, that was such a thrill to watch that building go up and um, and a, a couple of things that um, that stand out to me was you know it was it was just the thrill of realizing that that was going to be a centerpiece um, for the spiritual life of the campus. And I remember one of the first times that I was in that building. It was still under construction, and we had to get special permission, but. Uh, my my oldest son was a student uh, at the college at that time, and he was in his first year. And he and uh, a number of his peers had organized Thursday night worship uh, chapels. And we got permission, and I was kind of the the faculty supervisor of that. You know, everything that happened on campus had to have some kind of faculty oversight, and so. Yeah, you know, it was one of those deals, Dad. You know, will you, you know, uh, will you do this for me? And of course, uh, of course, I did. And being in there that night, you know, you're basically surrounded by just concrete and steel beams, and and seeing these kids sit on the floor with their Bibles open, um, you know, no power, no sound systems, just a couple of guitars. Hearing the kids worship, man, that is a that's a memory that um, that was incredible. Uh, a second memory was nearing completion of the building before they put the carpet down. Um, they allowed us to go in and write prayers and verses and remarks with a magic marker on the floor under the carpet asking for God's blessing on that building. Um, the very first time that building was open to the public was really bittersweet for me because the first public service that took place in the Good Shepherd Chapel was the funeral service of my first wife who had worked at the college. She started when I did in 93, and uh, she graduated to heaven on uh, May 5th of 2001. And so that was the very first uh, service, and that was a Thursday. And on Saturday, two days later, we had the very first graduation, 2001. Mm -hmm. 
in the chapel. So I have very fond memories of that chapel. And um, to be real honest with you guys, you know, it's hard to walk in there and not allow some of those memories uh, to overwhelm me at times as I think back to some of those special, special moments. So, yeah, uh, you, you definitely have highlighted some of those special times. And uh, I, I uh, remember coming to that service. I didn't know you and your family super well at that point because uh, our paths had just missed. I graduated right as you were starting at the college, but I'd gotten to know Rayanne a little bit because uh, yeah. she had helped Danielle Johnston yes. in her photography business. Yeah, And uh, Danielle had done some photography for my family and Rayanne mm -hmm. was her assistant. So it yeah. was just fabulous to, to see yeah. those, those two ladies together and, yeah. and then Yep. Uh, Dr. Teg, that was one of the highlights that he shared with us when he was on uh, talking about uh, just the opening of the of Good Shepherd Chapel. So yeah. what what yeah. what tremendous things and God has used Rayanne's life in so many different ways, even since she's passed. And uh, yeah. it's been just just incredible. Yeah. Um, again, just some of the amazing the amazing memories um, of those of those years, you know, Rand Rand loved the college. She had a group of, uh, well, groups I should say, yeah. of young women who she discipled, and I had uh, some young men who I was discipling as well. And uh, so, so we were so engaged in student ministry. We had uh, adopted college daughters, which is a practice that. Uh, I've done uh, over the years of just adopting kids uh, unofficially. Uh, I, I adopt them when I don't have to pay for their education bills, medical bills, uh, <laughs> buy them books, all of those kinds of things. So, uh, but but we had the you know these kids who just would fall in love with these students, and uh, Rayanne invested so much of her life in uh, in those those girls. And uh, when, when the reality that she was not going to, to beat uh, the colon cancer, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in uh, April 24th of uh, 2000. Okay. And, um, and the doctor was very uh, direct with us. And he said, uh, we believe that, you know, to the best of our guests, uh, you'll probably have between six months and 12 months to live. And so that was a, you know, that was a great period of soul searching and, and determining what, what, how did we want to spend the time? What did we want to do? And we really wanted to live pretty much life as a normal. And so Rayanne wanted to keep working as much as she was able. The college was extremely gracious in giving her some flexibility uh, if she was having chemo, there were days, obviously, that that uh, she didn't feel up to coming in and, and working. But uh, she worked up until really about the last month uh, of her life when she just ran out of the energy and strength uh, to be able to do it. And um, uh, but th there was such an outpouring of love and care uh, for us. And. Uh, as you might imagine, um, uh, medical bills were, were piling up 
and some good friends of ours opened an account um, and invited people to uh, to help with medical bills. And I, I said, they asked me for my permission and I said, I don't, I don't want to handle any money. I, I don't want anything to do with, with uh, choosing what's, what's worthy of a payment or not. And so there were, there were other friends of the college actually who, who did that and controlled that. And I simply would give them a, a bill and they would take care of it. Uh, now I'm saying all of that to say uh, Rayanne died and the people who managed that fund came to me and they said, we're not sure what to do with the surplus. And I said, um, what, uh, what, what are we talking about here? There was in that fund after she died and all the bills were paid, there was over $32,000 in that fund. And she and I had a private conversation before that. And we said, you know, that this, this could be a possibility. And what, what would we do? Because it really wasn't our money. It was money that people had given. And so we, uh, we decided that we wanted to uh, start a scholarship fund. And uh, so even to this day, the Rayanne Ayers Scholarship Fund um, helps pay tuition for one male student who is uh, in pastoral or headed to pastoral ministry and one female student who's headed to some type of ministry in a local church. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the last time I received uh, notification that fund had more than doubled in size and it continues to grow. And as it does, a portion of that is given in scholarship money and portion of it is reinvested to build the, the principle of that. Uh, and so in that way, her, her legacy and her love for students uh, continues to grow. Yeah. Um, one more thing about that period, and, and then I'll, I'll um, let you guys take the mic back. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that time afterwards, you know, people are very awkward when it comes to knowing what to do or what to say around matters of grief. And um, the interesting thing was a lot of faculty members didn't know what to say to me. Now, there were a few, and I could name them, but I probably shouldn't <laughs> because I, I wouldn't want to embarrass anyone or, or miss anyone. But there were a few faculty members who would just check in on me and ask me how I was doing. But the ones who ministered to me the most were the students for no reason. Um, I'd pass someone in the hall and a student would just come up, they'd take my arm or they would just come up and grab me and give me a hug. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm a hugger. And they'd, they'd hug me or give me a kiss on the cheek and say, doc, I prayed for you this morning. We love you. We know you're hurting. We don't know what to say, but we just want you to know how much we care about you. And that would happen dozens of times in the course of a week, all throughout that, um, uh, at least that first year. And then, of course, after a period of time when less students who remembered Rayanne were, were there, were the ones who didn't know her quite as well, uh, eventually that, that dissipated. But, but it was the students who were the greatest 
encouragement to me, or I'd find a note, or I had a, I had a group of, of girls who said, Doc, what is it that, that you hate doing at the house? And I said, tell you the truth. I said, I hate cleaning. And they said, okay, don't worry about it. We're going to bring a group over every other week and we're going to clean the house for you. And you guys have no idea how that ministered to me and how that helped me. Yeah. I mean, I could handle the meals and I could handle, you know, the, um, playing the, you know, the chauffeur for my boys who couldn't drive. Uh, but, um, but for those practical things, or on occasion, someone would say, hey, we're coming over to make you and the boys dinner. And they would just show up and bring food along and, and, uh, and, and make dinner. And uh, so just, just a shout out and kudos to any of those students who are listening to that. They'll, they'll have no idea until they get to eternity how much of a blessing that was uh, to the boys and I during that time. So... That's fantastic. I really appreciate those stories. And uh, it's just, you know, uh, hearing what Dr. Tag had to say about her. And even I, I spoke briefly to our athletic director, uh, Pete Beers, and he said, yeah. I, I knew her for an instant. And I knew her how much beauty she had in and out and her grace and everything. And he said, I hardly knew her. And I and I already knew that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I really appreciate those stories. You brought up the students. And I think that's yeah. one of the things that even I Again, I never took a class with you. I would see you around campus and mm -hmm. we'd exchange a hello and a wave and a quick word. Yeah. But even I could tell from the minute I started that everyone knew you, Every, but, but more than just knew you, just knew how patient and understanding and how much love you had for them. What is it about this, the profession you had and, and the place that you were in that enabled you to meet the students where they were? Um, I, I, I think it's a couple of, a couple of factors, Zach, and again, I'll, I'll try to be very pointed in saying these, uh, I was, I was serving as a pastor, uh, before I was invited to join the faculty at LBC. Um, I, I think I have a spiritual gift of pastoring and teaching, um, uh, and encouragement and uh, I, I have one of the master's degrees that I have is in counseling. And so I, I, learned, I learned some of those skills. And between the skills that I learned and the, the spiritual gifts that God has given me, I think that in part is what have opened the door for me. Um, when I moved from pastoring a church to coming to the college, I really saw that as I'm just changing flocks uh, because now I had a flock of students and at the church, you know, I had a flock of, you know, multiple, multiple generations of people that I was ministering to, but, but the, the spiritual gift of, of pastoring and teaching, um, I, you know, was just part of my, my spiritual DNA. And I, and I love people. God had used young people in my life. And that's, that's a long story, so I won't get into that. But that's what got me to Bible college in the first place. Young people and recognizing some of the challenges and needs that were present. And so when you're working with college students in particular, you know, you're working it, it, for the most part you know, with 18, 19, 20, early 20 year olds. Uh, 
you know, that was the largest bulk of students that I was working with. And so um, that had been an important part of my life in the past. And I just continued to love that generation. And I still do. Um, they've kept me thinking young, feeling young. They've given me gray hair. Um, but, um, but, but I've loved that. And I, I love being personal with them. And I love trying to show them the love of Christ. Um, there, there, was, um, there was a professor when I was there as a student. And again, I, I can't name names. Um, but, but I remember one of the favorite bylines of that particular professor was whenever you would ask a question of him, and I was a little bit older as a student when I was there. I was already married and in my early 20s. Um, but, but whenever you'd ask him a question, um, he would give you an answer. And if you try, if you challenge that in any way, he can, his, his line was, well, you can believe anything you want if you want to be wrong for the rest of your life. <laughs> and um, uh, I had that professor. <laughs> Bob, Bob knows who I'm talking about. And I said to myself, self, I don't ever want to be a, a pastor or professor like that. And I pretty much created, um, framed in my own life, a philosophy of ministry that was beginning to take shape um, that I wanted to learn from anyone and everyone who crossed my path. It really wasn't important to agree or disagree. I just wanted to honor and respect people and know that at least when I was with them or they were in my presence, that they were being heard and walk away knowing um, I've, I've tried to take a step toward earning their trust and reflecting a Christ-like attitude uh, toward them. And that has just kind of been um, partly intentional, but partly just uh, the gifting and the wiring and some of the experiences that, uh, that God has uh, brought me through in uh, a period of years. And, and uh, anyone who knows me, I'm not an extremely formal person. And so I, I never wanted to be called Dr. Ayers. I already had a doctorate when I came to the college. Um, uh, but I just, uh, almost from day one, students would call me professor or they would start to call me Dr. Ayers. And I said, look, you know, how about if we just keep, keep it a little more casual, a little more personal and uh, uh, doc. And, you know, and there were different variations of that over the years that uh, some students um, used, you know, some, some called me Papa Doc because they saw me as more of a father figure. Um, uh, and, but frankly, you know, the, the letters behind your name, uh, at the end of the day, uh, who cares? Uh, middle states cares, I don't. <laughs> um, so uh, it just was not important to me that everyone know how many degrees I had earned. Uh, what mattered to me was the ministry that I could have with that, that person. You, you know, Doc, I, I, I know that it's not, it's not always fun talking about yourself, but you definitely have left a lasting impact uh, and, and memories. Uh, you talked about like, uh, and students just loving you guys and you and Rayanne and, and just the ministry that you guys had together. 
do you have any idea how many weddings you have may have officiated or even been in? Cause I I've seen pictures of you being in students' weddings as well. And yes. And uh, yeah. One, one of the greatest, one of the greatest honors uh, and it's happened several times. I was asked to be a best man in some students' weddings. And that was just a, a tremendous honor. Um, I've been invited to walk students down the aisle, female students down the aisle in the absence of a father in their life. Um, uh, so short answer, Bob, it's, it's right up around 100. Um, I'd, I'd have to go and look in my records to give you an exact number, but it's, it's right around 100. Yeah. And uh, that was probably about 90 too many. Yeah, <laughs> um, because uh, because I had pretty stringent uh, guidelines that I would require um, before I would perform a wedding. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually had some students uh, and other individuals who, when I told them what my requirements were, uh, they I, I'd say, I want you to talk about this. Think about what you're doing before you um, before you give me an answer, if you really want me to. To, yeah. to do the premarital counseling. And I didn't do weddings where I didn't do the premarital counseling. Uh, so right away that eliminated some, yep. but um, you know, but a lot of times that meant travel, you know, to other States. Um, and, and, and that was, you know, it was just great to be able to, to share those, uh, those wonderful times with students. Yeah. So yep. yeah, probably a hundred ish though is, is a, a pretty round number. When, when you love people and you love relationships, uh, you make those sacrifices. Yeah, it, it's an investment. It, it, yeah. It's an investment in their lives. And yeah. one, of, one of the promises that I made to students, I mean, they had to make me some, they had to make promises to me also. But, uh, and, and the one that was the biggest hurdle for them to get over, as I said, if we get into premarital counseling and I come to the conclusion, you're not ready to get married, you've got you've to take a time out and we're going to put your marriage uh, your, your wedding plans on hold, you know, and, um, you know, if, if you've done any weddings, you know, that usually asking someone to perform a ceremony is the last thing that people do. They've already got the venues, um, uh, they've already got the venues reserved and they made the deposits and they've got the photographer and the limo and the, and the, uh, you know, every, everything else, uh, today, videographers and who's doing the drone, videography and and all these other things and then they, oh yeah then we i guess we ought to ask someone to marry us yeah. and uh so when you tell them hey hey i'm not doing your wedding unless you agree that if i call a timeout that we need to work through something <laughs> and if we don't get it done by the time your wedding uh date is uh we put a hold on the wedding well that didn't go over well uh with some and they chose not to invite me to to do their wedding but one of my promises to them was um, if, if they get to a point in their life, in their marriage, where even for a moment they've hit a hurdle uh, or a, a pothole that their marriage is in trouble, they needed to promise to call me and didn't matter where in the world they were, I promised that I would come to them. But they had to allow me the opportunity to sit down and help them work through that marital uh, issue uh, to try to save the marriage. Yeah. And th what's thrilling to me is I only know, I only know of a handful of, of weddings where divorces uh, were the outcome. 
Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yep. Very grateful for that. Absolutely. Doc, you're a, I, I, I'm probably going to go in like two or three different directions here and you can sure. kind of pick and choose where you want to go. Your, your role at the college has changed multiple times. You came in, I believe, as a pastoral studies uh, program, uh, the, the department chair of that, which yep. eventually led to chairing the church and ministry leadership department for a number of years. Um, and even when you started, there wasn't really grad school at that point, but that has developed and, and, yeah. and you've been instrumental with some of the ministry degrees that are offered at the, the graduate and uh, even doctoral levels as well. Um, what stands out to you from those roles? And then even thinking about going back to your days as a pastor to being a professor in 1993 to 2021 is totally different. Like yeah. a lot of things have changed. What, mm -hmm. what are some of those things that, that stand out to you during your, oh gosh, you at 40 or I don't know how many years of ministry you've totally been involved with. Uh, yeah, about uh, closer to 45 uh, yeah. now, uh, 45 years of, of ministry. Um, uh, let, let me deal uh, real quickly with the timeline of being at the college. Um, I came in 93. You're right. Uh, I was a chair of the pastoral studies department. Uh, all the departments at that point in time were of the of the professional majors. They were all standalone departments. Um, and so uh, I, I did a, uh, I, I did a sabbatical because we were rewriting the curriculum. And one of the things that uh, surfaced through that was that there was a lot of duplication of things that was taking place in a couple of our departments where we were trying to work toward preparing men and women for, uh, for full-time ministry. Um, and so that's when, that's when I recommended that we consider bringing all of those church-related or ministry-related uh, positions under one umbrella. And that change was made, um, I believe it was 2001, because it was shortly... Uh, we were in the discussion stages of it uh, when when Rayanne died, and it was shortly after that 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 came to fruition, and um, and so we created the Church and Ministry Leadership Department so that we could do away with some of that duplication and then introduce some of the things that I had learned as a result of some sabbatical study with our grads, other pastors, other institutions, and so on. Um, when I requested to step out of, and I became chair of the church and ministry leadership department. Uh, I requested, um, it was uh, right around, um, I don't even know the exact year, but it was, it was somewhere around uh, uh, 2012 or so. Um, I asked uh, Dr. Dearborn, who was the provost at that time, if I could step out of the role and if if um, possible, uh, if I could have some other uh, influence at the college, I was happy to do that, but that I wanted to step away from less administrative duty and I wanted to be able to give uh, more time to being involved in mentoring and uh, ministering to pastors and things of that nature. And to make a long story short, 
that transition came about. And uh, but the really exciting thing was uh, Rick Rhodes was being groomed for that position. And Rick was a guy that I hired to do student ministry. Rick was a student who I mentored. And I wanted my, my goal in part of that was I wanted I wanted students at the college to see that there can be a seamless transition um, and to do it in a God honoring way so that I could still be an asset to the person who was in essence replacing me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Rick really excelled and Rick was there uh, at, actually at the college over 15 years and uh, about half of the time uh, he was chair of the church and ministry leadership department. But during those early years, Bob, uh, you're absolutely right. That was, that was when we started the grad school. Uh, it was um, uh, a culmination of, of efforts by, again, part of the vision and dream of Dr. Peterson. And then Skip Lewis came on board. Dr. Skip Lewis uh, came on board. He worked in our department. He was on our team, the church and ministry leadership team. And then uh, program by program, we began to see uh, the seminary or graduate school, as we referred to it then, uh, began to take shape. And we had a number of different tracks that we developed. And we all worked on everything as a team. And we wanted, we wanted our students to be able to see how a team like that can function at a number of different levels. And so those were really, really sweet years as we began to see a solid foundation being laid for what now is uh, the full seminary. Um, uh, so, uh, so what has changed with students? Well, um, probably the bigger question for me is what has changed in churches? Um, I don't have to tell uh, you guys or anyone else, uh, you know, Lancaster Bible College Capital Seminary is not connected with any particular denomination. Uh, so we had a wide variety of students who would come from different, different denominations and uh, different backgrounds in their churches. And there were all kinds of different levels of, of biblical knowledge that they brought. But uh, in those early days, even the days when I was there as a student, there was a much stronger biblical foundation that students received in their churches. Um, that has changed. And, and, I, and I'm not taking a cheap shot at churches. I'm just saying that, that we, uh, we had to change the way we were teaching because we no longer could assume that church that, that students were coming from churches where they had a strong biblical background. And so uh, some people would refer to that as dumbing down. I, I didn't really look at it as dumbing down. We just had to help catch them up. And so we had to kind of change the curriculum to accommodate some of those kinds of things. Um, and we even see that in our graduate school, uh, even today, and even the seminary today. Uh, it really depends what the journey has been for a student to get to education, whether it's undergrad, traditional undergrad, um, you know, AUD, uh, whatever. Um, their church background means so much in terms of how much of a, of a strong foundation has been laid in their life. 
because um, when they come to us, we can only build on what they already know and try to uh, try to move at a pace that is reasonable. Um, the other big change, and then and then uh, you know I'll get off of this track, um, is you know you have a lot of students now where you know the church has lost so much credibility in in uh, recent years, in the past decade, really. And uh, uh, what I, I, I think the fallout of that is students don't, don't just um, automatically identify with some of the experiences and some of the things that you say. And so you have much more aggressive pushback on some particular subjects and uh, the way of doing things, uh, rules and boundaries in general, um, the, there's a little bit more resistance uh, of, of students who are coming in simply because they've grown up in a, you know, in a culture today where, you know, they have access to so much information, and uh, it depends whose truth, quote unquote they're listening to as to what shapes and forms their values. And so you've got to do a lot more in paying attention to, to building character and helping to, to lay a solid foundation uh, for them to build on. And I, I think uh, it takes a lot more patience on the part of faculty members today to just identify students are, are coming in at a different place. And we've got to recognize that, identify it, understand it, and then work toward uh, equipping them to study and to think for themselves, think critically, um, and to exegete culture in a way that's even more important than uh, I think ever before. Yeah. Darwin technology, and it's a whole different ballgame. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my generation, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not a uh, digital native, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and the, the more uh, the more I use technology, I'm convinced that anything that has a cursor is of the devil. Um, and, uh, uh, and quite honestly, uh, it, you know, when, when people are just listening to sound bites of things and then drawing their conclusions uh, biblically from some of those things, that's so dangerous. Yeah. And I think we're, we're starting to see uh, some of those dangerous trends being exposed uh, for what they really are. Yep. Yep. So. I am thankful for technology for stuff like today, though, too. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, you know, I was I was overreacting. But, no, no. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a guy who who uh, wants to sit in front of my screen, my computer screen for hours on end when I, I'm bored. Um, that, that's not me. You know, yeah. I do what I need to do using technology. And then I want to, um, I want to do something that is really more meaningful, more productive for me. There, there's, I'm, I'm just a, I'm, I'm just a face-to-face -face guy. That's yep. the way I'm wired. There, yeah. there, there's nothing like get, getting together, sitting down with a cup of coffee or, uh, yeah. a, a iced tea and just having a great conversation. Nothing like that. And some of that so. goes back to my, to my roots in law enforcement, where the greatest thing that I took away from that years ago was understanding and, and learning how to read nonverbal communication. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty difficult to, uh, to jump to or draw correct conclusions when you're just looking at a Facebook post or an Instagram post 
um, you've, you've got to, you got to get in the, in the trenches and you, and you got to deal with some of the messy things in people's lives. And we all know, you know, we're, we're not naive. Uh, we know that the smiles on Instagram aren't real uh, a lot of the times, and there's a lot going on in people's lives. Um, but technology almost uh, forces people to kind of put up a front um, and to sometimes, uh, sometimes be deceptive so that they can be acknowledged and, and, uh, uh, welcomed into some sure. circle. Yeah. Yep. You know, I, I think Zach and I could probably sit here and ask all kinds of stories. Our, our yeah. time's coming to a close. Yeah. I, I yeah. this, this has been fabulous. It, it is great reminiscing. You threw something in right there at the end that another day I'm going to dig deeper about. I didn't know about the law enforcement background or oh, yeah. uh, that we'll, we'll have to catch up on that a little yeah. bit. More. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Any, yeah. uh, I, I want to give you an opportunity. Are there any last stories, memories, something funny, sad? I don't care that, that yeah. you haven't hit on that you wanted to hit today. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with, with two, um, two embarrassing uh, stories. Um, uh, there was a, a course that I started to teach right out of the gate in uh, the 90s, in 93. It was a course called Spiritual Life and Evangelism. And uh, I took that course over from a a professor by the name of Earl Osborne, who I think taught it uh, when the Dead Sea was still alive. And uh, he would say know, that too. He, he was a fixture, you know, and, and so he didn't want to teach the course anymore. And I jumped at it because that allowed me to get FaceTime uh, in class with all of the students because everyone was required to take that course. Um, and so one day I was teaching in uh, what we used to call the lecture hall. You know, it's a, it's a tiered classroom for someone maybe who's never seen that or, or isn't aware of it. But, uh, but I was, was teaching in that, uh, in that classroom and I had a guy come up and he whispered to me, and this was very early. I mean, months into my, my uh, teaching experience, he comes up and he, he whispers in my ear and he says, Doc, your zipper is down. And I thought, you know, this, this is, this is indoctrination, you know, as a faculty member, you know, let's embarrass the prof and we're all going to laugh at him as he reaches down and tries to, you know, to discreetly pull up a zipper. And so I didn't do it. I didn't fall for it. We got to the end of class and I realized my zipper was down. <laughs> I taught the entire class with my zipper down and I'm not sure that anyone walked away with anything they remembered from that day, except uh, that it was a good, a good laugh at the new prop. <laughs> um, uh, a, a, a true confession as a student, um, my mentor, um, Dr. Donald McCullough, was at the college in uh, the 70s. And uh, Don um, uh, literally became a, a dear friend and he was, he was my mentor. Uh, had a couple of classes with him, and uh, we uh, we stayed in touch with each other really, literally, until the day that he died. Um, but a lot of people didn't know that Don um, Don wore hearing aids, and he wore his hair in such a way that it covered, you know, the the hearing aids that would would uh, hang behind the ear, and so his hair covered them. But those of us who knew that he had hearing aids, we, we would raise our hand in class. And as we would talk, 
we would start to intentionally lower our voice. And he would think that his hearing aid batteries were going down. And so he would discreetly reach up and adjust the sound level on his hearing aids. And then we would talk again at full volume and just watch his head rock back. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the moment that we did it to him, he knew that we caught him again. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so uh, true confession, you know, uh, I, I was a little bit of a prankster when I was uh, at the college, but uh, that's about the worst thing that I ever did. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Doc, I, like, like I said, we've totally enjoyed this time. Before we go, a lot of people know you have three boys and stuff. Um, can, you, can you just share a quick update on your family and, and what's going on with those guys? Absolutely. Two of the boys, uh, my two oldest sons, uh, are grads of the college. Um, my youngest son attended the college for, uh, for a brief time, and uh, it just was, not, uh, was just not his bag. And so he moved on to, uh, to different areas. Uh, my oldest son, Jared, is a pastor down in North Palm Beach in Florida. Um, he just uh, moved to that church. He was a church planner in Philadelphia for 11 years and uh, founded uh, one of the churches in the Liberty Church Network uh, right down in Center City. And then they uh, also started uh, another church plant on the main line in Philadelphia. Um, so that's my oldest son, Jared. My middle son, Joel, uh, graduated with a degree in social work. Uh, by the way, Jared was in pastoral studies. Uh, Joel graduated in social work, uh, played sports. He played volleyball during his, uh, his tenure there as a student. Uh, he was uh, in the Marine Corps, and so he was still in the, the reserves when he was a student. And so he lived on campus, I believe, for two years and then uh, commuted for his last two years. Um, he is a uh, police officer. He continues to uh, come to the campus frequently. He's a, an officer in Mannheim Township, and so uh, he, he uh, does visit LBC usually on, on official business on occasion, um, and he's married, lives in Viola, and uh, he's, been, uh, he's been on the township department uh, force now, I guess, uh, maybe um, eight, nine years, something like that. Um, my youngest son, Jeremiah, uh, lives in Florida also. He lives in Delray Beach. And uh, he is the manager and has been for about 10 years of a tattoo shop in Florida. And um, he has uh, tattoos galore. And uh, uh, I can hook you up if you want one, Bob. Just let me know. <laughs> Zach, uh, just say the word and uh, we can make it happen. Uh, he yeah. also, uh, he and his wife started a business. She's a hairstylist. And so they opened a hair salon. And so Jeremiah is also a businessman. And uh, within the past year, he also got his real estate license. Yeah. And so now he's a realtor. And so he's doing three jobs. Yeah. And uh, doing them well, loves the Lord, living for the Lord. Um, a tough stretch of time in his life that he went through after his mother died. But uh, praise God, he has uh, cycled through that. And uh, both he and his wife love the Lord and are serving the Lord in the, the places where God planted them. Yep. So, yeah. And you have, so and you have a bunch fortunate. 
Yep. You have a bunch of great grandkids too. Yeah, I do. I've got uh, six grandkids and uh, three grand dogs. So, yeah. No, four, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, apologies to my, my youngest grand dog. Uh, four grand dogs also. So, yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, Zach, if you ever want to have a little bit of fun, one of these days, Doc will have Jeremiah back up to campus and uh, you can ask. Uh, Jeremiah loves his dad so much, he even tattooed his face on, his, on himself as well. Yes. So. yes. I, I and, cannot wait to see that. And my daughter-in-law also has Doc tattooed on her arm as well yep. in honor of me. Now, she couldn't put dad because her own father, who's a Jehovah's Witness, would be very offended by that. And so she said, I wanted to have your name. And she and uh, I've, I've had Kate in many classes where I've and Maya, uh, where I've had them share their testimony. And um, just uh, for Kate, her journey to faith, because she was raised as a Jehovah's Witness and came to Christ. Um, and so I've had both of them when they're up here during uh, during classes, I'd bring them into the classroom and interview them, have them share their stories. And uh, both of them have um, have a journey through addiction and recovery and uh, how God has used that in their lives, uh, even continues to up to this day. So, uh, but let me know about the tattoos or piercings. I can hook you up with either Absolutely. one. Hey, I, in, a, in, a, in a different lifetime, I had both my ears pierced. I met my wife and she said, that's enough of that. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, but, uh, hey, we yeah. struggle for live streaming events in the summer. Maybe Bob gets a tattoo. We live stream it. It's, no <laughs> it's, it's whatever. So, hey, I guaranteed. Uh, hey, we're always looking for creative fundraisers for LBC. There we go. Um, you know, that Charger logo, you know, right. a lot of potential. That's, that's beautiful. And we'll even do the pregame prayer, maybe, Bob. That way, yeah, there we go. It. That's right. Be a great way to uh, dedicate the stadium. You know, we there, can use absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So. And yeah, that the stadium name is going to be so long. It might have to go the whole way across your back for that now, too. So. <laughs> It'd be great. Oh, great. man. So. Well, thank hey, you, Doc, so much hey, for, for welcome, stopping Zach. by. This has been great. We appreciate uh, all of your stories and your your openness to talk about uh, everything that uh, has transpired in, in your life, both on and off the campus here. So I really appreciate that. And uh, we look forward to seeing you here real soon. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, Bob. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, I, I can only echo what Zach said. And uh, uh, your fingerprints are just on the lives of so many of Lancaster Bible College students. Uh, one of Zach's questions and thoughts was, everybody knows you, you're known as Doc, and you have left a lasting legacy and impact. And, and uh, for all of us that know you, you would, I know you would say, hey, it's not about me. It's been all about Jesus and what he's Amen. done. So that's right. Yep. So yeah. anyway. Thanks for, the, thanks for the encouragement, though, guys. Yep. I appreciate it. Yep. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank Blessings you. Blessings to you. Yep. Okay. Uh, all right. Zach, anything else? No, I don't think so, Bob. We're looking forward to these. Uh, these have been fantastic, and uh, I can't wait to hear more stories. And it just seems that it's so fun for us, Bob, that we get to have these uh, these sit downs, these interviews, and think about all the lives that are that are overlapping. For all the yeah. stories that Doc just told us, we heard from Dr. Tucker and what was going on in her life at this institution at the same time. Yeah. Dr. T Dr. Kime, Dr. Gregory. It's just it's fantastic, and uh, I'm just so excited for the growth of this school and where it's going and where it has been. And 
um, I don't know. It's just it's just a lot of fun for someone uh, like me who grew up here in Lancaster, but didn't know much about LBC before I started working here in, in 2009. And to hear all these fun stories and look through all these yearbooks and I'm just I'm enjoying this so much. And, and Bob, for you, I can't imagine, you yeah. know, you, you were here as a student, kind of like Doc said, it's hard to peer behind the curtain when you are a student. But now to hear all these things, it has to be kind of cool for you, too. Oh, it, it completely is. So uh, a thr thrilled to have these conversations and we look forward to more. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to everybody soon. Sounds Thank great. You. Yep. Good. Thanks.